0: So, Father, we we, we just uh, pray this morning for your presence in a way that would cause us to know your truth for us. Come Holy Spirit among us, settle us down. I want to start looking toward the cross as we're um, facing the time in the year when we remember the happenings around Easter. And it's really cool to always be encouraged and to talk about God's love and God is in a good mood and God is good and all of those things are absolutely true and uh, we're all on a journey of discovering what that means and sometimes you know one of the hardest things we have to do in life is, is, is work out how we live life with a sense of joy even when things don't go well and often our times of uh, declaring suffering or living in suffering is about how can we end this and uh, And sometimes we're saying, God, how can you make this happen? Or how can you let this happen? And people live under the lie that God causes suffering. I mean, God doesn't cause suffering. It's it's impossible for us to be encouraged or strengthened by a God who we're always doubting because we don't know whether he's causing the thing that we're struggling with so we can learn a lesson. You follow me there? God doesn't do suffering because he doesn't have suffering in heaven. He doesn't cause sickness because he doesn't have sickness in heaven. He doesn't cause negative things because he doesn't have it in heaven. He doesn't give what he doesn't have, but he allows it, a very different thing. i said this very often, you know, if you have children, you can either put them in a padded cell and protect them, or you have to give them freedom, and in that freedom, all kinds of things can happen, which are ugly. But that's just part of the life we live in, a very broken world. In this, in this passage about Gethsemane, Jesus is, is coming to the climax of his life on earth. Again, we start with Jesus all the time. If you want to know who God is, what God's character is, uh, look at Jesus. There is another, no other place in our revelation of meaning and life on earth where we find God identified as a suffering servant, God identified as somebody who comes into the world in which we live and identifies with us. So it's really important for us to um, build friendship with Jesus and to read about who Jesus is and to discover who Jesus is because Jesus claimed that if you saw him and you know him, you will know the Father, which is a revelation in itself because to know God as Father is far more personal than any other faith in the world. There is no other place where God is revealed as caring for human beings. Every other faith talks about how human beings have to try and find acceptance before God. And they jump through these hoops or that hoops, do these rituals or that rituals. And there are many Christians who live like that too. They're on a behavior modification plan trying to make themselves acceptable to God. And that's why most many in the world don't like Christianity because all they see is behavior. And they see hypocrisy and they see religion. And that's not particularly attractive to human beings. And so, quite rightly, they reject it. And for many of us, if not all of us, we're having this battle with religion and relationship. And part of us is religious. I mean, if I can just come to church on Sunday and do something and give a little bit of money, then I'll be okay with God, and then I can do the rest to my own. And that's not very tasty, but it sort of fills our need for spiritual integrity, we think. And it's, it kind of just dissipates. It's, it's not, It's not life-giving. And so... When Jesus, you know, Jesus was becoming coming to that place where he was going to go to the cross, um, his disciples struggled as much as we would with the with the idea that uh, he was going to die. And they struggled with the idea that this man who had revealed to them a life that they never dreamt was even possible, he had done works that they had never dreamt was possible, he had spoken in ways that they'd never dreamt was possible, they had engaged with them in a manner where love had been revealed like they'd never seen it before, their hearts burned within them, they came alive, and now he was saying he was dying. And there are times where you think one of the lies is follow Jesus and you'll live a perfect life. That's one of the the deceptions sometimes of altar calls. Come to Jesus and you'll never have any more problems. It's a lie from hell. Come to Jesus and you'll have one who comes with you through problems. Come to Jesus and you will find support. You will find hope and healing. But you will not be protected from everything negative that happens. So there are only two ways to live. You live life in this world with all the screwed upness of this world on your own, making the best. Or you live life in the screwed up world with one who knows how to handle it. His name is Jesus. And so what I love about the scriptures is that it often reflects and describes what life is really like. It has all the complexities of life involved in it. It's not just a one-size-fits-all, and it's not just a quick fix. So, so these disciples, they have just before the passage on Gethsemane, they've had the, the supper with Jesus where he's broken bread with them, and he said, one of you will betray me. And in a typically human fashion, they all look wide-eyed and innocent and say, well, not me. And then imagine Jesus' own, you know, Judas gets a bad rap, and everybody goes, oh, Judas, you Judas, and he's got that nickname now of a betrayer. But um, I'm sure if Judas stood up here, we would empathize with him. Where he just wrestled with how does this work and his allegiance to the temple and his old way of doing things that eventually he doesn't know who to choose. And eventually for 30, 30 coins of silver, he, he tells them where Jesus is and he betrays Jesus. And then he, he despairs because he realizes as soon as he's betrayed, he's, he's totally messed up and he, he hangs himself. There's huge, huge pain in the, these times, huge moments of turmoil in the human beings that are wrestling with this man who says he's the revelation of God, but he's not doing what we expected him to do. I don't know if you have experienced that with God. I signed up to know Jesus and it's not going as I thought it was go, would go. I said yes to Jesus and my life's got worse, not better. I know people who follow Jesus and if you knew what they said about me, I'm not impressed. They're hypocrite. There's lots of disillusionment around this person, Jesus. And that's because when Jesus is the light, he reveals the brokenness in humanity as well as the truth of God. And so you have uh, the betrayal of Judas happening. And then then Peter, you know, Jesus says to Peter, and by the way, while he's probably pointing a finger at Judas, he says, you're going to betray me three times. And Peter, typical Peter says, absolutely not. I'm not like Judas. I'm for you, Jesus. I'm with you. I'm your man. And Jesus looks at him and I'm sure he smiles at him and says, oh, you have no idea what you're saying right now. But before, within the next 12 hours, you are going to betray me three times. And, and Peter says, no way. And of course he does. And so G- Jesus is also on his journey towards his most vulnerable moments. His friends are dropping off. His friends are, are not what they could have been or should have been. And you have this moment, this uh, place in Gethsemane. Gethsemane is, if, you, if you're in, in, in Jerusalem, the old city of Jerusalem, you go down a, a little valley, um, the Kidron Valley, and, and Gethsemane is It's a probably about a 20-minute walk from, from uh, Jerusalem. And uh, there are these old olive trees there now, but it's a basically a, an, an olive orchard. Orchid? Do you have an olive orchard? Anyway, it's a group of olive trees. You know what Gethsemane means? It means place for pressing oil. And these olive trees um, are the trees under which Jesus goes to pray and goes with his disciples just before he's about to be arrested. And uh, the olive tree and the olive oil is hugely symbolic in uh, the the Bible. The olive oil is about the presence of God. I'll just read you a few things. In, In Jacob's dream in Genesis 28, when Jacob was wrestling with an angel, uh, he saw that the ladder going with the angels going up and down. And he worked and he said, surely God is in this place. And I did not realize it. And he made an altar and he poured oil on it uh, to, as a commemoration of his experience of the presence of God in a place that was most surprising to him. Uh, oil was used for anointing priests and kings. It was also used to bring light to the tabernacle to the, in, in the wilderness And you know how olive oil is produced. It's produced under pressure. You crush the olive and the oil comes out like wine with grapes. And there's massive symbolism in this. Because what you have with Jesus, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. So he took Peter, James and John. Pay attention to that. He took Peter. He didn't say, Peter, you're going to betray me. I'm not taking you. I know what's in you. I know you're you're sincere, but you don't realize how weak you really are. It's encouraging. He took Peter and James and John with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I need you now to watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He's in agony. Um, This is not just a spiritual exercise that's um, superficial. It's Jesus, the human man, versus Jesus, the spirit. And the human man wants to get married and have children and doesn't want to be the savior of the world, does not want to die on the cross for everyone. If, If that's not true, then he can't identify with you and me. And so he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he's not just saying, I've got it licked. He's got, I'm struggling right now. And he comes back to his disciples. He returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Interestingly, he looks at Peter again. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done when he came back, he found them sleeping. He doesn't even bother to actually in, in, intervene at this point because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing, which is, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. And then he returned to, them, to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus would have known what was going to uh, happen to him. In Isaiah 53, there are many prophecies, and he only had the Old Testament, but he had probably memorized this. Chapter 53, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. and as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Verse 10, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer, And and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will suffer the light of life and be satisfied. Jesus would have had an idea of what was lying ahead of him, but as a human being he didn't want to go that way. Everything of God's spirit has to be manifest through the physical. What's happening in this garden is the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And one of the things that we struggle with is we're we're obsessed with keeping the flesh intact. And God is obsessed with getting the spirit released. And for the spirit to be released, the flesh has to die. The flesh is the mind, the body, and the circumstances. The spirit is the essence of life. Jesus was manifesting how that tension takes place and how eventually he comes to that place where he lays down his life and says, now we're going to go. You've been sleeping. I've been wrestling. I've been wrestling because I'm going to go to a cross so that you can actually receive all that I have in me. And the point of the olive grove is if you're going to get oil, the fruit has to be crushed. And if the fruit says, I do not want to lose my identity, there will be no oil. You cannot have oil and the fruit. Intact. So at some point, the fruit's purpose is to grow and contain the oil. And then there's a point where the fruit has to be crushed in order for the oil to be released. And that is a metaphor also for human beings. For human beings, what God is trying to do is to get us to die so that his spirit can be released through us. What we are saying is, I'm not going to die. No way. And so we become very diminished in our ability to know the presence of God. Why Bethel Church is making such an impact is because it's like going to a wine press. It's a place where there's a, a, the mandate is how do we actually grow in the Spirit? How do we actually grow in, in appropriating all that God has for us by His Spirit? You can't cohabit. You can't, you can't do everything you want to do and also know what God wants to do. Are you following me? And so the whole meaning of Easter is about God who comes into this world and lays down his life at the prime of his life so that others who have never known life might, might have it. And so all of us here have very limited, this is not a negative, it's just an observation that I think you will agree with, have a very limited understanding of what it means for us to be a people filled with the Spirit of God. And we spend a lot of time trying to massage and look after the flesh when God's saying, just let it die. And you go, how do you let it die? You make choices one by one by one so that the spirit or the oil can be released because everything that actually is life is in the oil, it's not in the fruit. And so one of the things we have, you know, here you have a circumstance and we spend a lot of time wrestling and seeing our circumstances as the measure of how God is in our lives. If this changes, then, then I will feel better. We look at up for our circumstances to give us credibility We look for our circumstances to change. We get angry with God because our circumstances aren't what we want them to be. And if we fight our circumstances so that our flesh, you know, your flesh says, I want a husband, I want a wife, I want this, I want that. Our flesh says, it says everything. If you get more educated, if you weren't so educated, if you get a job, they're very real things. They're not something that aren't real. It's just that that's not where the life is. And it's hard for us to believe that there's life beyond the circumstance. But what Jesus is doing with his disciples is he's beginning to show them again and again that the essence of life is found in relationship with his father. And as relationship with his father becomes real, you actually begin to change your circumstances. So Jesus in that garden of Gethsemane is struggling, the disciples are sleeping. But when Jesus gets up and says, my betrayer comes, what happens? What happens? They, they come and, and, and they try and arrest him and he stands there with great authority and says, um, here I am, what do you want to do with me? Peter still is hyper and he cuts off somebody's ear and Jesus heals the ear straight away. He just says, no, that's not the way we're doing it. And he's, the oil is flowing from Jesus, which is um, the grace of God is upon him and the courage of God is upon him to face his persecution. But all along the way, there are moments when he's revealing, this is not fun for me. You see, if we spiritualize it too much, we lose the contact that he has for us. And so this is, there's a struggle. So what's the point of this morning? It's, so how, is it, how are you bearing with suffering? And what is suffering? Because you're always going to have it. You and I are always going to have it. Life is never going to be fair. There's always, you don't, I've said this a thousand times. You don't deserve the good times and you don't deserve the bad times. It's life. And there's a point where you start entering into that suffering by saying, Father, what are you teaching me in this moment? I love the way Graham Cook puts it. What are you teaching me in this moment? Well, who can you be for me today that you couldn't be for me at any other time? And one of the things we will that will help us grow is to begin to embrace our suffering, which means I stand in the midst of it and find God in the midst of it rather than avoid it. And I think Jesus got through his suffering with a a number of things. I think the first one was when he was in that place in Gethsemane, he wasn't talking to the olive trees. He wasn't praying to the spirit of the olives. He was praying to his Father. And the thing that enabled Jesus to stand in the midst of his suffering was that he knew that he was in the hands of one who was bigger than he was at that moment, and that was his Father. It is pretty useless just believing in God without a relationship with Jesus. Believing in God is superstition. It doesn't comfort, it doesn't help. It's very, very distant. Believing in God when Jesus is your friend begins to strengthen you on the inside. Where, where I begin to realize that, you see, if you don't follow Jesus and you don't know God, your picture of life is that you're at the center and it's all got to make sense around you. When you allow God to be the center of the universe, I'm part of this world and I'm part of a very broken universe. And I'm part of a a universe that doesn't always make sense, but I trust God for the parts that don't make sense because I trust his faithfulness. And when things don't seem fair and when things don't seem kind, I come back to Jesus and and I step beside him and I go, but you're here with me. You are good and you are kind. So help me be good and kind in this place. See, Christianity is not appealing in our world because it has so little power. But when people are filled with the oil of kindness and the oil of the presence of God, they manifest in circumstances that crush other people, a light that will actually captivate others. People are tired of hearing words from the mouths of Christians. They need to see hearts that are open, lives that are laid down. It's useless if you come to church, but church doesn't come into you. And that's why worship is important. That's why emotions are important. That's why your heart is important. Your heart is the place the oil flows into. So before you can actually give anything, you have to receive it. And Jesus, through his life, was showing us how to do that. So he, had, he, he, he trusted, he read the scriptures, he knew them well. He knew that he was there for a mission. He had a purpose in life. His, his suffering was not for nothing. He knew he was doing this for a greater cause. I don't think he necessarily had all the details in his human form. But he was laying down his life and he trusted his Father with that. And God's going to ask you to do the same. We live in a very self-centered world. We live in a world where I'm not going to lay down my life for anybody because it's all about me. But if you want to come alive, start worrying about other people. Start actually being a servant. Start actually saying, how can I serve? And you will actually find that the very thing you were looking for comes behind that. The more you want something, you want peace, you want joy, you want life. Don't look for it in human beings. You'll never find it. And if you do, it won't last. You will find it in the company of people, but the essence of it you will only find in relationship with Jesus. And so you learn. So Jesus, he walked with his father. He also walked with friends. Even though his friends fell asleep, they were better than nothing. His friends failed him, but he was a faithful friend. So even though his friends failed him, he came back to them again. He came back to them in the garden. In his resurrection, he came back to them. And he said, I am a friend like of which you have never seen before. I will never leave you or abandon you. Now God the Father had imprinted that into Jesus. Jesus knew that. And so there's something powerful about being able to stand uh, in the midst of suffering and go, but God, I know that you are faithful. I know that you are good, and I know that you are here. But you will never find life without crushing. The reason God allows suffering and the reason God allows suffering to human beings is that human beings without suffering are very arrogant. Human beings without suffering become very opinionated very quickly about who they are, who they think they are, and what they think is owed to them. The fallen spirit in human beings is a huge ego and it wants to be Lord. And suffering is one of those places where eventually you come to the place of say, I give up. It's not because God's causing it. It's just because it's the way it is. And so suffering can be redemptive. But God is a friend and Jesus had friends around him who he went back to. There was a phrase that was used by a talker in Bethel that really got my attention and also some of the others because they mentioned it a couple of times. Failure is never final when there's a father. Failure is never final when there's a father. And that means that you know the disciples failed Jesus but because of the father and the love of Jesus, failure is never, is never where you're left with. And what the speaker in Bethel was just trying to say was... Um, what may, he's got this amazing testimony of coming to know Jesus despite an incredibly destructive life for 30 years. And uh, whenever he thought he was about to be rejected, a, a pastor friend of his uh, sort of picked him up. And while he was saying, I'm going to be rejected, he was being told through this man, no, you're not. And ultimately, if we're going to know the love of Jesus, we have to experience that through other people. There's no way that you find the reality of Jesus and the reality of his love merely between you and God. It has to be expressed and has to be received through the company you keep. What's encouraging about this? Jesus had a father, he had, a, he had friends, and I think he also had a future. In Hebrews you read, uh, For the glory set before him he endured the cross. And I think there's an element of learning uh, as you follow Jesus, as you a uh, disciple of Jesus, is that as we follow him, so he challenges us and we are challenged more and more. And we are challenged in good ways. It's a bit like um, if you're going to become an Olympic athlete, you start off here. and it's, I'm, well, I remember going to the army and you start off and think, oh well, this isn't so bad. They're quite nice to us here. That's only the first two days. That's the honeymoon period. And then the sort of gloves come off and it gets worse and worse. And there's an element where that's true, following God as well, getting to know God. There's a point where for, the, for what you, what's set before you, you endure. So, for instance, if you're training, your training will get more and more intense. And, they, and, and you know, why do you have sports psychologists? Why do you have coaches? Because on my own, I'll give up. On my own, this is too hard. I'm not getting up at five in the morning to train. How, how, how are you guys doing with discipline? It's, it's our human nature to slack off. It's our human nature to not do something. All those of us who are particular personalities you know, are driven and we do that, but there's other things that you won't do. But we need, we need help. And, and as you follow, as you get to know God, He's going to actually begin to challenge you, press you through your circumstances because He's actually trying to get the oil out of you or oil into you as well. There's only really one thought in today's message, which is Jesus manifests to us what suffering looks like, but also what hope looks like and courage looks like. And I'd encourage you to, to not be trying to escape your circumstances, but allow God to meet you in the midst of them. I encourage you to spend time getting to know God through Jesus as a father. There is a hu- I remember when I had wandered around for seven years angry at God, and I remember beginning to change and that beginning to change. And I remember beginning to start sensing God's love for me again. And it was like it was like oil falling over me. It was like something that I had thought I would never see again beginning to come into my spirit. It made me cry. It was his love beginning to say, John, I haven't left you, I haven't forgotten you, I haven't abandoned you. No matter how you've talked to me, and no matter your attitude to me, and no matter what you've done, I haven't forgotten you. And that was incredibly it was like oil on wounds. So how does God want to meet you this morning? How does God want to encourage you this morning? Um, let's stand and ask him, shall we? Because what we've seen in Jesus through in the Garden of Gethsemane is a God who cares, who suffers, who enters in to our suffering. And as we heard from um, Reg's picture um, God also says if you actually engage with me I will break down those things that you think are unbreakable and I will reduce them to dust and blow them away with my spirit. So in the words of my mentor Graham Cook God wants to kill you. Let the flesh die. Think of yourself as an olive and there's a point at that olive where for that olive to have meaning it has to be crushed. Circumstances, some will, will release oil, some will be part of the crushing. That's not caused by God but the Father, I pray for each one of us this morning that you will remind us again of your extraordinary love, that you're extraordinarily faithful, and that whatever our circumstance or whatever the longings are in us that haven't been met yet, we will not conclude that you do not hear or you do not care. And we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that even when we fall asleep, you come to us. And we thank you that because you have gone through Gethsemane and because you have gone to the cross, there's hope for us. And that the power that was in you in Gethsemane to endure the cross is the power that is released to us now to live life to its fullness no matter what our circumstance. So if you're feeling really weak this morning, Jesus is present for you. He's not disappointed. He says, I'm here for you to be strength. If you're feeling really discouraged this morning, Jesus is here to remind you that Gethsemane was not the end of the story. It was on the road to the end of the story, which was the resurrection. So Father, I speak hope into people who are discouraged. Hope in the name of Jesus. I pray for your oil to be released from heaven onto each person here this morning. For your healing oil to be released, your oil of hope. I speak to areas of darkness in our lives. May the, oil, the light that comes from your oil break through the darkness and give light. Areas of disillusionment where we had hoped for something and it hasn't turned out that way. And God would say, but you haven't seen the rest of the story yet. Don't give up. It might not end up as you thought it would, but it will end up better than you had hoped if you trust me. So Holy Spirit, will you come and speak into our spirits your life and your truth this morning. Open our hearts to believe for what we don't yet see. And may those circumstances and situations that are crushing us right now, may we anticipate even now, that you are going to use them for good, even though they were intended for evil. And speak that in the name of Jesus. Release of hope for good, for that which we're seeing now as being the evil that we can't escape. We break that in the name of Jesus. So just receive the love of the Father for you, because Jesus went into that garden for you and for me. And we're going to share the, uh, the breaking of bread. And bread is made by crushing grain and this whole meal is about being crushed in order to be freed the bread is released through the crushing of grain the wine is released through the crushing of grapes and we have a promise in the scriptures that says you will not be crushed beyond your ability to endure so receive from the Lord Jesus this morning his presence his love his spirit make sure that you don't travel alone make sure that you are in contact with friends who can share your journey Sometimes there was another word that was spoken at Bethel that was powerful. It was saying, don't try and give prophecies to people when you can have a conversation. And sometimes we're looking for God in something miraculous when he's speaking to us through a friend. Sometimes we can get overcomplicated and overspiritual. So Jesus, when he was with his disciples, just before he went to Gethsemane, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, Eat this, for this is my body which is broken for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And Father, as we do this, we we pray that you just continue to teach us how to lay down our own lives, that others would live, how to not place our confidence in our flesh, but to place our confidence in you, to not give our flesh the last word or even the authority to to determine how we live. May we find our meaning in you. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And he was saying that through my blood there is nothing that cannot be forgiven or redeemed. Anything that you believe about yourself that you think is hopeless or you disqual- disqualifies you is a lie. And Jesus says you're never disqualified as long as I'm around. Because I'm your loving Father and I'm jealous for you. So Father we release in this place today forgiveness and mercy, grace, faith to believe.